This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we have Larry Beasley on the program. The Larry Beasley. This is a real coup for the podcast. Yeah, I mean, we. this is a guy that we're really excited to talk about and he didn't dis- talk to, sorry, and he didn't disappoint. Yeah, no, he definitely did not disappoint. Uh, how do you actually even introduce somebody like Larry Beasley? He's so accomplished. Yeah, I mean, he's basically uh, the founder of modern urban Vancouver for in sure. terms of planning. I you mean, can actually be living in a building called the Beasley in an area carefully planned by the Beasley. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. And the point really is that, you know, I don't want to do the laundry list here, but you I'm should tempted do a bit of to kind of do, do a laundry. Okay, do a laundry well, let's, let's, let's talk about 15 years as co-chief planner at the city of Vancouver, where he led Vancouver's modern transformation into a world model for sustainable and livable cities. He sits on various boards, including TransLink. He's a founding principal at Beasley and Associates, a consulting group. He was a vice president at the Aquilini Group. So he's been in the development industry. He's a distinguished professor of planning at UBC. And he's also, get this, a member of the Order of Canada and a Diamond Jubilee Award recipient. No big whoop, right? Uh, <laughs> and you and, thought you were busy, Matt. Yeah, I know. No kidding. <laughs> and accomplished. I thought it was very yeah, accomplished. Yeah, yeah. Um, we should say, too, he's also an author, right? I right. Mean, he's written Eco-Design for Cities and Suburbs. He's also uh, publishing a book later this year called Vancouverism. 
uh, out with UBC Press. So that is uh, something to look forward to as well. If you live in and love Vancouver, you got to buy this book. You got to buy this book. It sounds very interesting. We're going to have a link on our show notes to uh, to his previous book, but also we're going to be definitely blogging about his new book when it comes out because no we're kidding. really excited. So. Matt, also, we just found out yesterday that the city council approved the Northeast False Creek plan. And Larry Beasley, we asked him a couple questions about this as well. But For uh, sure. And and we've talked about this plan extensively on the podcast. We had Holly Sovdi, who's the lead planner at the city of Vancouver, on to discuss uh, basically that the, was the early plan. stages. That, right? was that was very a couple early. years back. So go, if you want, you can check out that episode if you want to learn more. Or you can head over to our site, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where we have an extensive blog post on on the city plans with links to artist renditions, um, as well as a kind of a virtual tour provided by Concord Pacific, actually. I don't know how accurate it is. Hey, but, but they're good the, at virtual tours. They are good at virtual they're tours. They're very, very good at virtual uh, tours. So go check that out uh, on our blog. But basically, just a, a brief overview of, of the Northeast False Creek plan. They're going to revitalize the Northeast False Creek area, um, basically connect Chinatown and Hogan's Alley to the rest of the downtown core and to False Creek. Um, records amount of social housing and the biggest new public park in over 30 years, which is really exciting. And those viaducts are coming down. Those viaducts are coming down. It's going to increase uh, green space. There's going to be 32 acres of parks and open space. And um, it is very, very exciting. And if you haven't seen the renditions, it's worth checking out. Well, it's going to transform the eastern side of downtown connecting Chinatown to sure. Strathcona and Gastown. I mean, it's it's a, it's amazing. And it's going to be the next 20 years. Yeah. So, so if you're concerned about construction in Vancouver, just, wait for it. Just wait. Just wait. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, why not, without further ado, why don't we cut to our interview with Larry Beasley? This is a good one, guys. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Larry Beasley, Senior Canadian Urbanist. How are you doing, Larry? I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. Yeah, thanks for taking the time, Larry. It's a pleasure. It's a, be- a pleasure to be able to talk about the uh, development of Vancouver and how it's continuing to evolve in a very compelling way. Right, right. So, Larry, can, can you maybe start by just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I uh, am an, an urban designer and planner. Uh, I've been involved in uh, cities around the world. My practice uh, as a consultant has taken me to the Middle East, the Nordic countries, Europe, uh, Australia, China, uh, and the United States and Canada. And uh, in addition to that, I'm a professor at the University of British Columbia uh, School of Community and Regional Planning. I'm the um, uh, I'm my title is the Distinguished Practice Professor of Planning there, where I try to help uh, young planners and urban designers to uh, be very effective in their practice when they start to work. And, and are, you, are you originally from Vancouver, Larry? No, I'm, uh, I'm originally from the deep south in America, but I came to Vancouver in the uh, late 60s. Uh, I became a Canadian citizen in the 1970s. I joined the city of Vancouver as a, a community planner in uh, 1976. I became the uh, uh, co-director of planning in the early 90s, and, uh, and I left government in 2006. 
Interesting. So, so most of our listeners will know know who you are, kind of just name recognition. But you've had a, a a very important role in in how dynamic downtown Vancouver has become over the years. Can you speak to the role of urban planning in in creating such a dynamic place? Well, Vancouver is a, a different kind of city than most North American cities. Uh, and for many years, it was quite in the vanguard in Canadian cities, although uh, nowadays you find that Toronto and Halifax and uh, many other Canadian cities are uh, joining the vanguard that uh, Vancouver was. And when I say a vanguard, I mean that government leadership in designing and planning a city uh, became the uh, way that we moved our city forward and transformed it from uh, a very difficult time financially and economically to uh, to now being uh, a city of world importance. That is now being done by other Canadian cities, less so by some American cities. Sometimes it happens by accident in American cities, um, but much more deliberately in, in Canada. And uh, in the... Uh, 90s, uh, late 80s and early 90s, we joined forces in the local government with the people of Vancouver and the designers of Vancouver um, and the development community of Vancouver to rethink our city, to say to ourselves, what does it take to be relevant in the 21st century? And we discovered it's that you have to be a uh, quality place to live. You have to offer a uh, experience of urban life that is fulfilling for people. You have to accommodate their needs so that you empower them to be creative and and maximize what they do in life. And very much so at a tactical level, you have to bring people together. You have to mix people up. And you have to create uh, a lavish uh, environment for them to uh, act out their lives. And so uh, starting after Expo 86, when, we, when Vancouver became uh, identified out there in the world and not just a, you know, uh, Canada's third city, as it used to be called, we uh, started to really pursue all of these ideas that I've just been talking about. And so we brought thousands of people together. We redesigned and recreated downtown Vancouver. It's now one of the most diverse downtowns uh, uh, in the world. It's also a very large downtown with over 120,000 people, 175 to 200,000 jobs, according to how you count them, Uh, but also a city that is widely admired as being livable and accommodating and and interesting and uh, and very contemporary. We also embrace the idea that Canada's future and Vancouver's future rested with bringing people from all over the world to our city uh, and being very hospitable to the multiculturalism that resulted from that and in fact leveraging that multiculturalism uh, to make us a world city. We live with some uh, implications of that. Uh, The cost of our housing is very high, et cetera. But uh, we also live with the benefits that we are now 
one of those world cities in a time when cities all over the world are being categorized as either relevant at a, at a world level or only being relevant at a national or even regional level. And even though we're not Canada's biggest city, we certainly are right out there uh, in Canada as being a exemplar of what Canada offers to the world and what the world uh, can enjoy in Canada. Right, right. So, Larry, so Vancouverism is a term that we hear often. And a lot of people look at the Vancouver model as one that was very, very successful. It's been celebrated around the world. Now we are kind of hearing uh, a, a growing population concerned with increased global demand and affordability. Um, all levels of government seem to be uh, talking about policy and, and how to uh, limit demand and increase supply. Are we a victim of Vancouver's success? No, I don't think we are at all. As a matter of fact, I've just completed a book uh, on Vancouverism, which will be out. It's called Vancouverism, and it'll be out in the fall through UBC Press. The creative forces that resulted in the kind of city that we have, which is an enticing city, a competitive city, a livable city, a city that really does embrace all kinds of people from around the world, is in fact the city of the future. What all over the world we are struggling with is if you are that model, then how do you deal with issues that aren't even relevant or don't come to the fore when you are a less world city, when you are just uh, a city within a local or a regional or a national economy uh, and culture? And we're struggling with those issues. Does that mean that we were wrong to make our city a great and lovely and livable city? No, it means... I hope not. (laughs) Yeah, it means that we have to now say, as a successful city, there are issues that come with that success. Now let's deal with those issues with the same creativity and the same open-mindedness that we first used back in the 80s and 90s to create the place that we enjoy now and that is causing some of those issues to come to the fore. And so, for example, uh, take the issue of, of housing affordability or, as a matter of fact, the issue of all affordability of buildings and property uh, for housing or retail or uh, workplaces. Many cities don't have that problem because they don't draw people to their city. They don't enjoy the diversity. They don't enjoy the economic benefits. We have one of the most healthy new economies and the kind of economy that is going to be very competitive in the next hundred years, already rooted in our city and getting better all the time. But we have affordability problems. So what does that mean? It means not that we have to close our doors. It doesn't mean that we have to punish those who come here. It means that we have to create a secure middle-income sector for housing and retail and others that will be able to be there for uh, middle-income people in perpetuity. We have to find new techniques to and new tenures of housing 
such as is being explored now by Van City and a number of nonprofit housing companies, and in fact, a, a number of profit development companies who are wanting to be a part of a solution and not just seem to be a part of a problem. And that is going to emerge as very important. You'll notice that the recent taxes on foreign buyers and taxes on empty homes and those kind of, uh, of negative measures, because we are such a compelling city within the world, remembering that the world is a, a dangerous place with environments collapsing all over the world, and we're kind of the opposite of that. Those kind of measures are overwhelmed by the imperative of people who want to come here. So negative measures I don't think are going to work. We can't say to the world, don't come here. I don't think we should. But Vancouver has to say we do, though, have a special responsibility for those who have made their lives here for generations, uh, for those who are not the highest income people, and we have to build a sector for them as well. And I have been I am on the record, and I have been talking constantly about building a middle-income housing, secure middle-income housing sector, and I'm thrilled to see that young people, young companies, uh, young uh, entrepreneurial interest is now embracing that. I'm thrilled to see that governments are starting to talk about that, and that's just exactly what happened at the outset of what we were doing in the late 80s. We had big issues. Our economy was collapsing as the resource industries diversified and globalized, and, uh, and we had many kinds of social problems. Well, we didn't just say we're going to go with old standard answers. We invented new answers. And so now your generation, the young generation, have to invent these new answers to secure that um, uh, local and middle-income economy and place, culture, and, and society in our city. So, Larry, I'm struck by there's a, about a thousand questions to ask after <laughs> that. Um, but one of the things early on you were talking about in, in the 80s and into the 90s, talking about how to recreate Vancouver based on collaboration, I'm wondering, A, were there models that you were looking at outside of North America then? Because it seemed like such a, I mean, we're talking about Vancouver being a future city now. It seems so prescient at the time. And secondly, um, are there models now we can look to? Well, the interesting thing about cities, uh, the culture of the design and development and management of cities, is that we now have ways to share information, to share our experiments, to share uh, new ideas um, in, in a way that back in the 80s and 90s we just didn't have. Back in the 80s and 90s, uh, clearly, the uh, leadership in City Hall, the design community, the leadership among the citizens and businesses of Vancouver were looking out to the world, and we did have inspirations. Did we have models? No, back then we didn't, because we created a different kind of North American city than existed or still exists almost in anywhere in North America. So we had to create our own models. We had to put it together from an idea here, an idea there, and uh, the, some of the traditions of our own country and place and, and uh, culture. Uh, and we created what became an exemplar for other cities. Nowadays, 
we can, in fact, tap other inspirations. I've done an awfully lot of work now in the Nordic countries and uh, uh, communities like, uh, like uh, Stockholm are creating uh, much more sustainable, environmentally responsible new neighborhoods. And they're, and they're uh, in Melmo in Sweden. They, are, uh, they found uh, many kind of ways to enhance the livability of people living at, at quite high densities. Or in uh, Helsinki, they're making extraordinary um, uh, advances in the whole new concept of shared a shared economy, not so much with the Airbnb and the Uber, which are are kind of world known, and we're all debating them about them one way or another, but in much more intimate sharing that can enhance people's uh, economic status and their and the livability and availability to them of all kinds of things that they need to live on a day to day basis. Those are things that are happening in that part of the world. And many of those things can be, uh, can be brought to the next generation of invention in Vancouver to deal with the kind of issues that we're dealing with, to deal with the continuing, um, not just the issue of affordable housing, but even with all that we've done and even with being the greenest city unquestionably in North America, we still are putting impacts on our environment that we have to resolve. Other places, such as Copenhagen, are showing leadership that will help us. And those cities in the Nordic countries are ahead of us. And Or you can look at, uh, at Australia, where uh, they are making really uh, fascinating advances in m- middle-scale housing. Uh, they're, often their citizens are saying the high-scale, high-rise is not for us, but they know that they have to intensify, diversify, uh, and densify in order to become sustainable, in order to deliver the quality city that people can afford. And so they're finding just wonderful ways of living at medium scale and medium density. Um, and so the Dutch in the Netherlands are finding ways that you can build multiple housing with uh, people still having ownership of their land. Um, and the Dutch are all also in world leadership on showing how you can secure a middle range of housing through very sophisticated non-profit uh, uh, development companies that can build, yes, the very expensive housing, but they then, because they don't, they are not profitable, they are not uh, taking profits. They take the profitability from, from a project and they invest it in bringing the costs of other housing down so that they deliver a mix of housing. Um, or, you know, the uh, Spanish in Madrid who have been in the vanguard of nonprofit home ownership as a component of their housing economy. So, yes, all over the world now we can share ideas, but what Vancouver is better at than many cities is that we know how to integrate all of those things into a compelling whole, a compelling new vision. That's what we did in the 70s when the region had one of the most wholesome, holistic regional plan, which we're now only beginning to see the benefits of as it develops now in the uh, early 21st century. Uh, or And that's what we did in the late 80s and 90s when we said, well, let's put our attention to the core city 
which is in malaise and does have all kinds of problems. And let's see what we can do to transform that. So we did a holistic, complete kind of transformation that dealt with our laws and our policies and the way that we organized uh, wealth and we took wealth and invested wealth and the way we organized citizens to be a part of that. Um, and I think, and, and that's what was also happening in the 20, uh, you know, the, the, the first decade of the 21st century when Vancouver took a lot of ideas and we put it into a compelling green agenda, uh, which has made us uh, right in the, in the forefront on uh, environmental sustainability and green urbanism. And that's what we have to do now. And we have to take those ideas and we have to meld them and integrate them and we have to transform them to be in the Canadian image, in the Vancouver image, suitable for our people. And by virtue of that, create maybe a model that isn't out there yet. Right, right. So Larry, in that vein, how do we maintain this balance for the need of um, increased density with also public spaces, parks, and and of course, maintaining our natural beauty? Well, I think that um, there are two or three different things that are very relevant to that. And I think um, the Northeast False Creek plan that was approved by the city council yesterday, I think it was, or a few days ago. Yes. That plan is illustrative of, in fact, how you have to deal with this kind of, these kind of questions over the whole city. That plan designates a significant footprint of the whole development site, perhaps close to 30 or more percent of that development site for parks and open space. It begins to deliver, it does deliver, uh, uh, as it will be built, uh, a huge new park um, uh, accommodation, not just for the new people coming in, but for the existing communities in Gastown and Chinatown and, and, uh, and, and other nearby communities. So the mere fact that in planning of Vancouver, we have a uh, a non-negotiable standard for large developments to deliver park space, which is among the best in the world, uh, will help us to keep that balance between the urbanism and that and the open respite that we also need, the green respite. Added to that, we have found a way to uh, develop at higher densities, and now we have uh, different scales of density that we have modeled successfully so that we're not offering a diminished lifestyle as people move into slightly higher intensity living. You know, around the world, people think of densification as uh, diminishing their lifestyle, as taking things away that they enjoy, the spaciousness, the, <clears throat> the greenness, the uh, privacy and all that. Mm -hmm. And we've shown in our design work, because we brought design to the very heart of the way that we develop our city, that we can develop very positive living experiences even at higher density. So we will take less of a footprint for our citizens to live on in the future than many other places in the world, and it'll be a quality life. It won't be a bad life. And then thirdly, we from now for more than 25 years have had an extraordinary dedication to the idea that the views uh, from the city, uh, through the city, from important public places, 
need to be protected as we have all the development of the city. And so over all of these years, we have protected many, many views, and we've had this amazing result that now people feel a spaciousness, even though living at high density, looking back out of the city, along the streets and along the view corridors to the natural setting and being able to feel a part of the natural setting and not cut off from the natural setting. And so those three things together, when you add in then a lavish uh, imperative for public amenities and facilities, are creating the kind of model that other cities are trying to do uh, for tomorrow's livability. Uh, And now we have to add those kind of issues of affordability and others, solutions that we've been talking about. So as I understand it, Larry, you're, you sound overwhelmingly positive on the plan. I think the uh, new uh, Northeast Falls Creek plan is, is a absolutely state-of-the-art um, solution to round out the development. You've got to realize that I have a really uh, long-range interest. I, I helped to conceive, I led the process to conceive the whole concept of converting this huge vacant space of over, you know, hundreds of acres from being just rail yards and obsolete industry and all that to being, you know, setting the whole image of our, of our city. And that was the one area that was not yet developed. And it had always been my anxiety that how would it be developed? Would we lose a sense of the principles? And in this proposal, I was very, first is I was very, gratified to see that the city government embraced the idea of removing the viaducts. And I was among the people that helped find the alternative to help make sure the traffic flowed. But it still took a lot of courage to remove those viaducts. Uh, And, and, uh, you know, now it seems that's a foregone conclusion, which is great. Secondly, the nature of the plan that Concord Pacific in particular has come up with along with uh, Civitas, who are their urban designers, who are, by the way, among Canada's greatest urban designers, is a quite compelling vision. And then the concept that has also been put together through the Parks Board and the involvement of some great uh, landscape architects uh, is really going to finish off the creek and, and add to the amenity, not just of the creek and the surrounding communities, but for the whole city. Now, there are little issues, you know. I know that there's one view corridor where a couple of buildings are intruding into that corridor. But I can tell you under, uh, with, under no uncertain terms that those kind of issues can be dealt with as you go into the detailed design of each part of this community, again, continuing to work with the people uh, and testing alternatives, that I think they'll be able to solve that, that issue. So to me, people have asked me, you know, that's a big issue. We should not let them go forward with that. And what I've said is, no, I don't think it's that big of an issue. But I do believe that we should stand our ground to say that the view corridors have to be preserved, which means that several towers have to be uh, reshaped to bring them out of the corridor. You can do that by shifting them a little bit. You can do that by bringing their height down and putting that density in another building, which is insensitive to the views. Uh, You can do that by adjusting the uses to other um, marketable uses. There are many ways to solve that view problem that is there. But 
I've never seen an overall plan that did not have issues that remain to be resolved as you went deeper into the design, as you dealt with the zoning and the um, sub-area planning that's inevitable. And by the way, the city of Vancouver has shown in the world that staying true to the principle of design coming first and uh, trying to bring in more and more design innovation and dealing with issues where you broker local concerns and developer concerns and civic uh, policies uh, in a positive studio kind of design format is the way to go. And everywhere I work in the world, I'm introducing that as much more important than it tends to be in the world. So Larry, um, we're very excited about the Northeast False Creek plan as well. And we've had lead planner Holly Sovdi from the city on to speak about that. Um, Are there other areas that you're excited about in Vancouver right now? Well, I'm really uh, very uh, fulfilled by the way that uh, uh, Southeast False Creek is coming together and the way that the imperative of the Olympics as an athlete's village did not distort the principles that we put in place when I was still at City Hall uh, for the development of that community and how livable the uh, community is and how the experience is is how delightful the experience is of that community. Also, where I'm really fascinated now is to to reach out beyond the core of Vancouver, uh, first to the Vancouver communities, neighborhoods that need to evolve uh, in a new way, but also beyond that to the other municipalities in the Lower Mainland and to see how they are going to realize their version of downtown Vancouver in their town centers. Um, In work I'm doing in other cities and suburban areas, I'm trying to bring this consciousness that you you can cluster uh, activity in town centers in suburban circumstances. You can save uh, delicate existing neighborhoods and communities and help them feel that they're, you know, not contributing to the demise of the city, but are uh, important components of the city as you find other ways to densify and diversify and uh, link uh, um, areas for alternative uh, transportation. So I'm very fascinated to see how these areas are growing. Some seem to be doing it in a more artful way than others. Um, and so at some point, I'd like to be able to do a bit of a comparison of that. Also, I'm really excited at this moment, and probably it's because I'm on the board at TransLink, in these new uh, transit improvements. If there's one thing that has to happen in Vancouver is that we have to continue to expand and elaborate our public transportation uh, alternative to the private car. We all know that starts with a land use plan that means that many, many more trips are going to be by walking and cycling, and we're doing a very good job of that in the city and doing even better now that our suburban town centers are starting to come together. But people always are going to be making those longer journeys, and we have to get ourselves to a position that, say, the more mature European cities are, London, Paris, otherwise, where it is more convenient to go by public transit it's more uh, economic to go by public transit, and it becomes a very natural thing to do. And then we have to add on to that an extension 
of what I would call collective movement or shared movement uh, by adding all the new technologies for uh, sharing that are coming together and making sure that they don't um, uh, have negative impacts. Uh, for example, um, uh, uh, autonomous uh, vehicles uh, are either going to have a significant positive impact or they're going to have a significant negative impact according to how they're introduced within any city, but certainly within Vancouver. Mm-hmm. If they're introduced just as a uh, another extension of your private options of buying a car. Uh, you can now have an autonomous vehicle. In fact, you can have one for every member of your family, and you can make sure that it always goes back to park in your private parking garage so that there are four um, rush hours a day rather than two. Then we're going to see a huge proliferation of private cars on the street and all the implications we know. If, on the other hand, we say that autonomous driving has to be tied in law to shared vehicles, then we might see significantly less cars on the road than we see now, and that opens up a possibility, which I've suggested in my most recent book, uh, that we could close significantly more areas from any kind of vehicles and allow the uh, the kind of walking culture to fully develop in ways we see in other cities. And if that occurs, then the uh, need for a very sophisticated um, rapid transit system it becomes higher and higher. And so even the uh, expansions that are on the on the books today and are and are definitely going to happen now um, because of very supportive senior governments, We'll have to have those will have to happen five times over as we move forward, say over the next twenty five years. So I'm pretty excited though that there is a consciousness about that. Uh, and so that in in Vancouver, as compared to many other cities I work in, there are uh, technical people talking about these issues and thinking about how they could be tried out and and uh, 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 and we could see what kind of models might come out of that. And just so I understand, Larry, we talk a lot about the extension of the SkyTrain down the Broadway corridor. You think that's all but inevitable now? I'm very confident about it now. Not only is the senior federal government money in place, the new provincial government has made it pretty clear that they are going to contribute what they need to contribute. And the local government is finding the solutions to the shortfall that they still had to come up with. And uh, there seems to be right across the board in all of the leadership a compelling sense that we have to make it happen. And if we don't, the electorate is going to punish whoever doesn't make it happen. And so, yes, I feel pretty confident about that. And I feel confident that uh, the uh, Broadway extension will be the kind of extension it needs to be, which is underground with the proper stations, very low impact, uh, already the districts that it's going to hit are, are areas where their intensification is already in the plans, and mm-hmm. so it'll just spur that on. And ultimately, uh, I think we'll see an initiative to extend that further out in some form onto UBC and the end of the peninsula there. So, um, uh, yes, I'm very confident. Okay, well, I, one more question here, Larry, and then we'll let you go. So the NDP is coming out with its its budget on the 20th. 
you seem to be involved in any number of kind of private, I mean, you've worked in the private sector, you've worked in the public sector. Right now, you seem to be involved in in multiple uh, different zones of, of the city development here. Um, do you have any thoughts on on critics who think the development community is too cozy with, with governments? I have two thoughts, and they're a dialectic. On the one hand, when government gets cozy, quote-unquote, in a way that the trajectory of government policy, government action, government interest becomes subsumed within a development trajectory, that is not good. Right. On the other hand, I found during my time of leadership in local government that unless you found a way to collaborate with the development community, you could not achieve the things you needed to achieve for the citizens. In other words, sitting at City Hall, I never break ground on a new development. I never turn the sod to do something, uh, build something differently that would make the city be different. And so I need to, as a government official, I need to find a way uh, to collaborate. And what we, the essence of the collaboration that was underway at that time, and which is often misunderstood, is that it was a collaboration of public and private interests being brought together, reconciled, and both benefiting. Uh, in a free economy and a democracy, uh, anyone, and even you guys, no one will do things that are not in their interest, and few people will do, some do, but few people will do things that don't provide some benefit above and beyond you know, the status quo. And so to the extent that the development community and the local government are finding ways to collaborate and access the great wealth that comes from development, not just going to the developers, as it does in most cities, but being shared by the people of Vancouver as it is in Vancouver. Um, to the extent that that happens, it's, it's very positive. What I'm, I'm uh, urging everyone to remember, though, is that there is a, a third partner in that equation, and that partner is the citizens who have to be in that negotiation, in those discussions, every step of the way, at all levels, and constantly being monitors, uh, if nothing else, of the equity and fairness of that process and the yield, but even more than that, being part of the creators. So that's my dialectic answer. If you just get a cozy relationships where the government becomes an agent of the private development community, which is always a possibility, always an anxiety, and something we have to all be constantly vigilant about, it is negative. If you form a collaboration with the development community, and it's a collaboration that is three-way between the government, the development community, and the citizens that brokers solutions, then it is one of the best benefits that you can have to be close to your development community. And it allows you to do many things that cannot happen uh, in other cities that become enemies between the development community and the local government. Great, great. Very fascinating. So, Larry, um, we have one quick segment here, just five quick questions about Vancouver called the Five Wire. Can you stick around for that? Yes. Okay, great. So your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? My favorite neighborhood is uh, False Creek North, sometimes called New Yale Town. And uh, favorite bar or restaurant? Uh, my favorite restaurant uh, is Umberto's. 
Il Giardino. Very it's nice. my neighborhood restaurant. It has one of the best bars. It has the best food, and it has the most lovely staff. Great, great. Uh, downtown Penthouse or West Side Mansion? Uh, downtown Penthouse. <laughs> I've never lived in a single-family dwelling since I was 15. Uh, I have a I have a house here in the in Palm Springs, but my life is uh, is really in the intensity and wonderful diversity of the city. Right. Where do you bring uh, someone from out of town? The first place you bring them? Uh, I like to go to Provence uh, on Marina Side Crescent. Very yeah. nice. I like them to see the absolute epicenter of the new Vancouver that's achieving everything we wanted them to see, to, that we wanted it to be, but also to experience a, just a great city beat and to see the beauty of the city. And to experience the uh, mushroom ravioli, which is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you must have such a sense of accomplishment in your life, Larry. <laughs> um, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very happy about uh, what we accomplished, but... Um, in my book, you'll see that I, when it's out, you'll see that I celebrate the next generation too, uh, the leadership of Sadhu Johnson and in in uh, in positioning our city as a green city. I'm so proud of that, and uh, and the continuing um, dedication to some of the principles. Right. So maybe the last question for you here, in terms of these specific buildings, which one are you a bigger fan of, H and H on Homer or the Beasley? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always fondest of the bees. <laughs> but I'll tell you why, and it may surprise you. As a part of that naming of that building after me, they asked me if I wanted some money. And I said, no. But I did want them to give some money to the University of British Columbia School of Planning, which they did for five years. Wow. And it helped to make the student life in that planning school much richer with more opportunities. So I like the building because it's named after me, but more importantly, I like the building because the developers, uh, Amicon, gave a significant contribution to the University of British Columbia. That's an excellent story and one that I don't think we knew, so that's, uh, that's great. Um, so Larry, so how can people find out more about your work and uh, how can we find out about your book and, and when is it going to be available? Uh, well, my first book, which is called Eco Design of Cities and Suburbs, is available from uh, uh, Amazon and uh, from Island Press uh, in Washington, D.C. It's available online and I hope everyone will buy it. Uh, my second book is coming out from UBC Press. It's called Vancouverism uh, and it'll be available again on, online and Amazon and through UBC Press. I'm hoping it'll also be available in local bookstores. Uh, anyone can come and um, and access uh, our uh, corporate website at Beasley and Associates, and we try to keep um, all the contemporary um, things that we're doing on that website so that people can keep up with uh, with some of the interesting um, things that we're doing. And then finally, we are constantly uh, tweeting and, and doing the other things on social media to uh, comment on the stories of the day. Excellent. Well, that's, that's very exciting. And uh, thank you so much for your time, Larry. Yeah, thank you again, Larry. That was amazing. Okay. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.
So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Larry Beasley. I really enjoyed that conversation with Larry. Uh, that was one of our longer interviews, but man, so many interesting tidbits that came out of that, and uh, I learned a lot. Yeah, you know, the things that really strike me about some of the people we have on the podcast, and, and Larry's definitely one of them, is kind of the scope and understanding they have of not only Vancouver and its past, but its future, and, yeah. and kind of the, the long-term vision. Uh, also, the global kind of scope that he has in his understanding of cities, and he's comparing cities from basically every continent and, and, he's and how it all, impacts. Yeah, and he's been all over the world. You know, I used to think I was exceptional before we started this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> turns, out, uh, <laughs> turns out I'm not. Uh, but anyways, it was great having uh, Larry on. Yeah. And um, before we cut for the day, Matt, let's just remind everybody to head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah, I mean, this site is getting tons of positive feedback. Right. We just revamped it. Uh, we have updated news Every single day, Adam and I are both writing some of the news, which is and you uh, just wrote is, a, a a vicious takedown of Garth Turner. Yeah, if every if anyone knows, <laughs> some of you must know who Garth Turner is. Of the, of he's the very greater bearish, fools. bearish on Vancouver's he's, he's, market. He's been a bear on Vancouver's market for almost two decades now. Right, I, I just he'll eventually be right. Right when when well, things, who, when well, things balance or shift slightly or, or plateau, who knows? Plateau. I mean, there's there's a, a number of things that might happen in the future here. But we yeah, had a lot of fun this weekend on Bowen Island, coming up with titles for uh, for your your blog post. I actually on wrote Garth it on Turner. on Bowen Island, and it. Yeah, it just struck me. I don't know. Yeah. What what did you end up... Did you go with Party On Garth? Or do you uh, even remember? Yeah, I think we did say it was, is the party still on Garth? Is the party um, still on Garth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a, a Wayne's World reference. Yeah. We went really dark and deep into uh, a bit of a wormhole coming up with uh, titles for this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, we had 10 to 12, I think, uh, in the end. But, like what? Uh, what did you guys I, have? I think... Um, I think and the thunder rolls uh, was one. Um, that's a Garth Brooks reference. Yeah, I've often wondered if if Garth Turner has an uh, a bullish alter ego, Chris Gaines. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, well, he's definitely kept friends in low places financially. Um, anyways, but um, so head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com to yeah. check that out. But also, we have our tools, right? Private you client know, services. If yeah, you're not using, realtors. if you're not using private client services, you're standing still while the rest of us are power walking by. Uh, you get sold prices, you get days on market, you get listing updates, thirty six to seventy two hours before the public MLS, and it's it's just the best research tool. Out it's there. the best research tool out there for Vancouver real estate. We also have our new mobile app that we've been promoting, right. so you can click on there and get that. Download the the app. I mean, it's basically a, a more user friendly version of private client services for your phone it has augmented reality which it, we don't understand but it's uh Braden does. yeah yeah i have an understanding and what does it do Braden? uh you it's augmented reality you point your phone at a building and it uh tells you what listings are there tells you sold prices very very yeah, nice and somebody's got his license days back. on the market yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy, <laughs> holy. calm down brady d been working on that pitch um <laughs> yeah but it's phenomenal so head over you can get sign up for pcs you can sign up for uh the home spotter app and, and uh, yeah, and also join close to twenty thousand people on our mailer list that uh, features every week. We've got a deal of the month. We've got updates on episodes that we're releasing, the news. tips and tricks for the marketplace, insider news. It's fantastic. So get on that mail list. Absolutely. So hey, maybe we'll leave it there. So Matt, how can people reach you? 
Give me a shout anytime, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And Brady D? Info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. I thought you were going to slip in a realtor email in there. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Not yet. We'll wait Next for week. it. We need okay. like a, a mute on Braden's mic where we can just mute him when he starts going a little too overboard. That's my, muting is my job. Yeah. Mute. Mute, Matt. Push the mute button. <laughs> anyway, take care, guys. Have a good week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs>